Morning, Door Creek. Good to be together. If you're a guest here, my name's Mark. And before we get into the message today about baptism, I just want to um, say it's a, it's a really important month in the life of our church as we're coming to the end of All In 29-7, which is all about the mission and vision of this place that we believe just God has, has given us. It's, it's connected to the Great Commission that we're going to look at in just a bit. And, and what we're about here is to join God in changing people into devoted followers of Christ who changed the world with his love. That's what All In 29-7 has been about, of seeing this vision by the grace of God, of being a Christ-centered church for all people, where the power of the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, changing the world. And so um, the posters in the atrium give you snapshots of some of the things that have happened here in our own backyard around the world as we have been chasing this vision through All In 29-7. I'm excited to hear some of the stories about how God has used this place in your life, in your family's life, your marriage life, your, your friends' lives to, to make a big impact. And uh, I'm excited to, um, to come up to the end of it with a big give the last weekend of this month, the 28th, the first day of March. So two weekends from now. And hopefully we're going to get all 100, the... Uh, 1975 Ford 100 that the boys and I worked on and totally redid, which was kind of the, what was it, the icon a little bit for all in. Boys, are you all in? So uh, if we can get it through the doors, it's going to be in the building. If we can't get it through the doors, it'll be outside. And on the windshield, it'll give us the goal where we're at. So at this point, with one week behind us, we got 75,000 of the 400. So next week, and you'll come and see where we're at. Big give the last weekend. And then on the The 7th and 8th, so the first weekend of March, we're going to have a big party and just celebrate looking back and just praising God for his goodness, his faithfulness, and then talking a little bit about, so what's it mean now that we've kind of come to the end of all in? So, baptism. Um, I have never given a message, a whole message on baptism. That's really interesting. Three years in ministry, and I've not done that. And uh, so I've been thinking hard about baptism this week, and we're getting ready to do baptisms next weekend. So on Saturday night, uh, we're going to have a big baptism service. And so we just wanted to talk about it. And and I'm hoping for those of us who've been baptized that it'll help us better understand what all's connected to baptism. Because I think there's actually a lot of questions that we have. And for those of us who haven't been baptized, that just hearing God's word explained today that you go, you know what, why haven't I been baptized? Uh, so to that end, I hope this is a really encouraging, helpful um, message here. And for those of you who aren't yet Christ followers, a better, clear understanding of the gospel. So in Matthew 28, Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission. It's kind of like the church's marching orders. And here's what he says. This is right before he ascended into heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are marching orders. Make disciples. What's a disciple? A follower of Christ. So reach people who don't know Christ, grow people who do, 
from all the nations. So there's not anybody who's breathing today that Jesus doesn't want to be his followers. And if they become a follower of Jesus, like item number one is baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and then teach them how to trust God and show that trust as they take him at his word, follow his commands. And know this, Jesus says, and as long as you're pursuing this, I'm going to be with you to the very end of this age. So we want to talk about baptism. I want to just say, there's a lot of questions. Like, what is baptism? Why do we get baptized? What's the difference between adult baptism and infant baptism? Why do some churches get their babies wet and other people don't? Why do some people say, unless you get wet, your babies are you, you're going to hell? Is that true? How old do I have to be? How do I know if I'm ready? Can I be rebaptized? Should I be rebaptized? What's going to change? What should I expect? And why in the world did Jesus say when you baptize people, say that you're baptizing them in the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So let's talk about baptism. What I want us to do is when we think about baptism and the picture that it gives us, that we understand it's pointing to the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And that we understand one of the reasons we are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is not just because that's who God is, but it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that makes the gospel possible. So that's kind of how we're going to go after this understanding of the gospel. I want us to go back to the Father who desires a relationship with us and makes promises that are rooted in grace. They're free gifts. They're not conditioned anymore on us measuring up and doing the work. So the good news of the gospel points back to the Father and his grace, to the Son and his sacrifice for us, and then to the Holy Spirit who has this amazing power to raise dead things back to life, Jesus and us, all right? So we're going to go back to the Old Testament and look back at Ezekiel 36. So if you want to turn to Ezekiel 36, it's a little tricky to get to. So it's going to be before Luke where we've been hanging out. It's going to be after Psalms. It's about two-thirds of the way back. If you need to check table of contents, it's always a good thing to do. Ezekiel 36. So as you're turning to Ezekiel 36, I want to just say baptism is something that's been practiced in a lot of places, even outside of Christianity. In fact, it was practiced in Judaism in Jesus' day. If a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they would be baptized. It would be common in places like Egypt and with the Hittites and some of these other ancient people groups where baptism was like this initiation rite. Baptism and the water with baptism is associated with a lot of these rituals for cleansing and purification that was done through water. That was common for the priest to do, for a follower of God to do. If they touched the dead body, they had to be purified. So it's back there in the Old Testament. It was going on in Jesus' day. But in the Old Testament, there's this awesome promise in Ezekiel 36 that points ahead 
to baptism, the gospel, and what baptism points to. So God's talking to his people who who've been carried off into exile because of their disobedience. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Here's the image of baptism. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So we're seeing baptisms next weekend. We saw it up on the screen in the video. And when we see a baptism, we've got to go back to the gospel that is rooted in God's grace. So here's what's amazing. The history of God's people at this point in the Old Testament is they keep flunking the course. Remember God delivers them out of Egypt to have a relationship with him. He says, are you guys in for a relationship? They say, yeah, we want you to be our God and we want to be your people. He said, fine, here's the deal. Keep the commandments. Moses comes down, here are the commandments. As long as you keep the commandments, it's all good. And so from Exodus 20, where the giving and the commandments are, I mean, he doesn't even get down from the mountain with you shall have no other gods before me. And they've already broken the commandments. They've created this little god out of, remember the calf, the golden calf? They're worshiping this. This is, this is God. I mean, and, and it's just they keep flunking. They keep flunking like me, like you. The, the, the law keeps reminding us, man, we can't keep the law. And so these people have been turning away from God. They've been trashing the vulnerable around themselves. God's led them off into exile. They don't care about God. And what we are reminded in this promise is of a God who's pursuing us for a relationship. That's a pretty amazing thing. They're not looking for a relationship with God. They're moving away from God. They haven't shown worthy to have this relationship with God. They keep turning their back on God. They're worshiping other idols, not God. And God's moving towards them with this new covenant promise that is no longer conditioned on their obedience. Old covenant. Exodus 20, Moses, the Ten Commandments, carved in stone. Now he says, I'm going to carve it in your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. Your your heart is hard against me. This is like rock granite. I'm going to give you a new heart because I'm going to give you my spirit. My spirit is going to come into your heart and it's give you a heart of flesh, a heart that has a pulse and a desire to live for me, to obey me. And I'm going to place my spirit who is going to forgive your sins so that you're cleansed. And I'm going to bring you back into relationship with me. Man, that's huge. Because there's just a lot of times where we hear and it's wrongly taught that, hey, baptism, you got to check that box. That's a hoop you got to jump through if you're a follower of God. In fact, if you don't jump through that hoop, you have no assurance that anything good is going to happen to you after you die. And this is not a box to be checked in that way to get us to a place of earning God's favor. This promise, the gospel, 
baptism reminds us of a gracious father who loves us and is moving towards us with this unconditional promise. There's no condition here like there was in the old covenant. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It reminds us of God's grace. When John's baptizing, remember what he says? Hey, I'm baptizing with water. But there's someone coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see that verse right there in Luke 3.16. What, what John the Baptist is reminding us is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of Ezekiel 36. And everything about John, his message, his ministry, his baptism, is getting people ready for Jesus. And the only reason Jesus gets baptized is because he's identifying with us, one day going to die on the cross for all of our sin. He's not getting baptized because he's a sinner who needs repentance. In fact, when he gets baptized, the heavens open up and the voice says, This is my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And so baptism takes us to the Father who's a gracious Father who wants a relationship with us and has promised this beforehand. This isn't like, okay, so we get to the New Testament, now there's this new thing, it's called baptism. No, this baptism is tied to God's promised plan from the very beginning of a relationship with him, God's people in God's place under his loving rule. So Jesus fulfills the promise. Jesus fulfills all of God's promise. And so that gets us to the Son. Baptize them in the name of the Father and in the Son. Every time we see a baptism, we're seeing a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. So once you go to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, you see it up on the screen, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So there's a double picture going on here. There's, it's like a shadow. It's like the image of Christ and the shadow of a Christ follower. Christ lives a perfect life. He dies for us on the cross. He's buried in the tomb. He's raised up in new life. And in baptism, we are identifying with that. We're saying, that's what I'm trusting in. That's the object in the center of my faith. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Not my work, his work. And as I'm identifying with him, placing my faith in him, I'm saying, too, that I'm dying to myself because I want to live a new life for him. All right, so in the name of the Son. His loving sacrifice. So when, when God said and promised relationship, it came at great cost. Not to us, but to him. Now you think about how 
how paradoxical this is. So you remember in the, in the neighborhood when somebody made a fort or got a club and you, like you needed to know the secret. You had to get into the club. You had to know the secret password or the secret handshake. You, you didn't walk up to the club and say, so what are you guys going to do about it to let me in the club? I was like, no, that's not how it works. You, you don't go and say, so what are you guys going to do to give me this job? No, you show your resume, right? When, when, when you pledge for a fraternity or sorority, you got to go through something, some initiation. Chris Kyle, American Sniper, in his book, he's talking about what, what it takes to, to be a SEAL and the initiation and all the craziness that goes on. I was talking to my friend who grew up on the west side of Chicago, and he joined a gang. He's telling me what it's like to join a gang. He said, that's a big deal. Like, you don't join a gang and then the next week decide, eh, I don't think so. No, this is like life or death. You better count the cost. You better know what you're getting into. And they're going to want to know, are you tough enough? So they're going to beat the tar out of you. Are you tough enough to be in the gang? Are you tough enough to beat somebody else up? Are you tough enough to add value to this game by stealing something or selling something illegal? They, they want to know. And then they're going to ask you, he said, will you, will you keep this gang this new family as a priority over even your other family. So these are all the things we need to do to prove our worth. That's how it goes when we're trying to join in to something we want to be a part of. But not the gospel. The gospel is all about God saying, you guys can't do anything to get into the club, to get into the family. And so a great at great price, I'm going to send my son who's going to give up his life for yours. That's what baptism reminds us of. It takes us right back to the sufferings of Christ on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. Now, I think when we celebrate communion, which is all about remembering the centerpiece of our faith, Christ's death for us, it's really easy. The bread, his body, the cup, his blood. It's baptism it's easy to go, so what exactly is this? Is this just like a washing forgiveness thing? It's taking us back to the same thing as communion. Christ's body suffered on the cross, buried in the tomb, raised to new life. My identity in that. So here's what Jesus says. He says, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So when we see baptism, we don't just think about Jesus' death and resurrection. We think about, hey, I said, I'm going to follow you. And last we checked, Jesus didn't say, hey, if you want to be my disciple, go get your money back, go get your credit cards, go get, go get some knives, because I'm sending you out into some hard places. There's wolves around. you got to fend and defend yourself. He said, go Take your cross, your cross. Die to yourself, to the things that rule you, to wanting to rule, and follow me. Now, I find that I'm constantly looking for the crown. Like, when is the last morning you woke up and said, oh, I can't wait to suffer for Christ, to deny my life and my interest for God and for others. The natural thing is, 
man, it's hard. I hope some people are kind to me today and just loving on me and understanding that I'm worthy of this and deserve I'm looking for the crown. He says, my followers take up the cross. And baptism reminds us the follower of Christ is saying, I'm trusting that what you did on the cross is enough. And you were raised to show that you really are who you said you are, the Son of God, and you did what you said you came to do, die on the cross in my place for my sin that is separated from me from God. And then as your follower, I'm remembering in baptism, and I said I was now going to live like Jesus, who gave up his life for me. I'm going to give my life up for God and for others. That is powerful. That is transformative for us and then through us to others. So baptism reminds us that the Father gave up the Son. The Son gave up his life out of his grace to have a relationship with us. Baptism takes us to the beauty of the gospel. And then the beauty of the gospel is that the Spirit's power in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit's power, dead things are brought to life. So Romans 8 verse 11 says that it's the Spirit who raised Christ up from the dead. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So what is that saying? It's saying when Jesus was three days in the tomb, parts of Friday, all day Saturday, parts of Sunday, what got him out of the tomb was not the earthquake. The earthquake was to get the disciples into the tomb to see that the Spirit got him out, resurrected him to new life. That was the power of God that raised Christ from dead to life. And that Spirit in, in Christ is the spirit that we have through faith in Christ. So here's what, if, here's what Ephesians 1 says. Having heard the word of truth, verse 13, the gospel of our salvation, having believed it, we were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when you have faith, you have the spirit in you. So there's a lot of people that go, okay, so this is getting me... This is where I'm going here on this whole thing of baptism in water, baptism by the Holy Spirit. How does that work? There's some traditions that teach that it's subsequent, that you, you're baptized, you have faith in Christ, and then you have the second working of the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, no, 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 that's not how it works. When we trust in the good news of the gospel of our salvation that has nothing to do with my good works but Christ's good work on the cross. When I believe that, then boom, I receive the Spirit. And with the Spirit, I receive life. Because what the Spirit does is he applies what Christ accomplished. So the Father promised it. Christ accomplished it. And the Spirit now applies the work of Christ to my life so that I am sprinkled clean, Ezekiel 36. Sin's forgiven. It doesn't mean that I don't ever sin. But there is complete forgiveness because Christ's death is sufficient. I have forgiveness. And if you don't know what that's like and you're dealing with guilt, you don't have to deal with guilt. 
That's what Christ came to deal with. You may be dealing with consequences. That's a different matter. The Spirit applies the work of Christ so that now I have, I have a life. I, I've got a new heart. It was stone hard against God. He was flatline dead, but now I, I've got a heart of flesh. It's alive. There's a pulse. I, I, I care about God. I'm in relationship with God. And my heart's desire is actually to not want to do the things I've done in the past. I've got new life, new relationship with God, new power for living. And, and I've got new relationships because we're baptized, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, into one body. We have this unbelievable, beautiful, mysterious relationship with Christ and with his family. So it makes me think of my wedding ring. So uh, September 26, 1981, Lori and I got married. I was 14, and I've got the pictures to prove it. <laughs> I really was 23, but no wonder her parents didn't want me to marry her. Um, so we got married. It was a great day, and we took our pictures beforehand. So you'll notice my left hand here, there does not have my wedding Band. And in fact, I was going through the wedding album yesterday. Go, where's where's the where's the ring? And I, it wasn't until the last picture. Only one of the whole album had the ring on it. So it was, we're walking out of the church. I had one happy camper. <laughs> Still am one happy camper. Thirty three years later. And so that ring, I remember what Pastor Bolt asked us. He said, and I say it all the time to couples. So what symbol do you get right after the vows? What symbol do you give of your holy promises? The vows, by the way, that's like the high point of the marriage ceremony. Most people don't think about it. It's the promises we make to each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. So help me God. We're going to be faithful to each other. So it's, it's, it's a symbol, it's an external sign that points back to promises. Baptism points back to promises. But really, when we see somebody that has a wedding ring on, we're thinking of a relationship, aren't we? We're thinking they have a relationship. And it's, it's to be like, any, uh, like no other relationship that we have, a marriage relationship. A profound unity. Two people becoming one in marriage. And baptism, like the wedding ring, points to this profound union that we have with God through Christ, whereby Christ's spirit is in me. I have a relationship, and I have power that transforms how I live my life. So for those of us who've been baptized, well, then we, we've got to look at baptisms a little differently maybe this next weekend or whenever we witness a baptism to remember, wow, what an, an amazing father who loves me unconditionally. And wants a relationship with me. As my friend calls me, and I'm a huckleberry. I'm a goofball. I'm a mess. And, and I disappoint him. And he, he wants a relationship with me. What a wild thought. And that he knew I, I didn't have what it takes to get into this relationship with a holy God. And so he made a way at great expense Sending me his son. Man, that's really important that I remember that, that I'm loved. Remember that I'm, I'm operating out of grace, that my identity needs to be rooted in Christ. And then as his follower, followers, I, I, I want to keep that trajectory 
of giving my life away for others and finding life as I do that. And, and it's an important thing for those of us who've been baptized is to not turn what I would call a minor teaching in the Bible into a biggie major thing where we go, well, listen, it is a big thing. And there's a lot of places that do this. So you just need to know at Door Creek, if you were to go through the membership process, discovering Door Creek, it's not a requirement for membership. Because it wasn't a requirement for membership for Jesus. When the thief on the cross said, will you remember me? It's like Jesus did go, hey, John, we need some water up here. How about a sponge and some butter? Well, something. i got to get this guy wet. He said, this very day, this very day. So we, we want to be careful. We want to be careful that we wouldn't puff ourselves up, pull somebody down, and use this in a goofy way, or use this teaching to be divisive. So let me tell you about College Church in Wheaton. College Church in Wheaton decided that baptism, specifically the baptism of children, has become such a divisive thing that we're going to learn to live together in what seems really contradictory. Because I don't know if you know this in church history, but people killed people over baptism, and especially baptizing babies. Now, you need to know that the scripture is super clear. Baptism doesn't save. We're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace we've been saved through faith. And this, our faith, our salvation is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God that no one should boast. But there are a group of people who believe the promises of God are for their kids And they see baptism as a sign like circumcision in the Old Testament. And so they don't get their kids wet so they'll be saved. But because they're believing the promises and trusting as these kids grow up in like this greenhouse of God's love and grace in this family and in the church, they one day will confess Christ as Lord. It's not a saving act, but it's a sign of the covenant. Some of you are going, what did you just say? I've never heard this. What? So Roman Catholics, some Lutherans, you get them wet, boom, they're in heaven, just getting them wet. Then there are Reformed people, they'll say, no, no, that's not what it is. It's a sign of the covenant like circumcision that's pointing ahead to the grace of God at work in their life. So college church, they say, we're not going to get crazy about this. So I'm not kidding you. One week of the month, we baptize babies. Another week of the month, we dedicated children. Don't get crazy, Christian, who's been baptized or maybe hasn't been baptized. You've got all these views about this. Godly people disagree. This is a minor, not a major, okay? So then for those of us who haven't been baptized, let me give you some reasons why you shouldn't get baptized next Saturday night. Because you're still not clear on grace, You're still looking at baptism as something magical, some box that you need to check to get yourself into a place where God has to let you in. You're looking at baptism to put you in a place of favor with God. It's some kind of a saving thing that you do. Don't get baptized. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Couldn't be clear. Then there's some people. I remember these junior high boys when I was a youth pastor. We had a baptism service and like 20 of them said, we want to get baptized. Like, really? All tw- it was like, what just happened here? Well, 
he was getting baptized, and then his friend is like, well, if he's getting, I'm getting baptized. Well, then he's like, it was like, okay, wait, we don't get, we're, we're not doing this to please other people. That, that's not what baptism's about. It's about, did, did you hear Deb's expression? I mean, it was a big crowd. I didn't know what to expect, but man, it was really personal. Me and Jesus, right? Isn't that, you know what she said about her faith in Christ, her desire to live for Christ? So we don't get baptized to please someone else, your spouse, your parent, your child. That's not why we get baptized. We don't use baptism as some kind of front cover mask to, um, I don't know, leave the impression that we're someone that we're not. We don't do that. But here's why we should. Like getting baptized, is, it's normative. The idea of a follower of Christ in the New Testament that's not baptized just doesn't exist. So Peter's preaching to the crowd. They say, what do we have to do? He says, well, turn away from living your life like that and turn to God and get baptized. There's this guy, he's this Ethiopian guy. He's like the secretary of the treasurer, and he's reading the Old Testament scriptures. He's got the scroll of Isaiah open. He's reading about Jesus, this coming one, but it doesn't say Jesus. It just says this guy who's going to suffer, and he's going to be punished in exchange for us getting peace as he dies and suffers for our iniquity or our transgressions, our sins. And he's going, who is this guy? And God sends this guy, Philip, to go talk to him. And they have a little Bible study in the chariot. And Philip says... Isaiah was pointing ahead to Jesus, and he tells him about Jesus. And then they have a little road trip together, and he sees a pond. That is the Ethiopian, sees a pond of water. He says, whoa, hold the horses here. He said, what prevents me from getting baptized right now because I'm a follower? And here's what Philip didn't say. Well, dude, man, it's just been a couple hours. You know, we got to see if this is the real thing. So talk to me in seven years, and we'll see if it's really stuck. He didn't say, hey, wait a minute. There's like 14 other scrolls you got to work through, and there's Bible studies, and he didn't say that. He said, you're right, let's go get baptized. It's normative. If you're a follower of Christ, you get baptized. What did Jesus say? Make disciples, and the first participle that modifies the one verb to go make disciples is get them wet, baptize them. In fact, the word baptize means to dip. Don't get goofy too on, does it have to be all the way out? Could it be a sprinkler? There's latitude there. In fact, there's going to be people that want to get baptized, and you go, I can't get into your hot tub. I get it. Like, it's really tricky. So we'll get you wet. R.D. said he'll climb a ladder, get a big bucket, and it's, no. We'll, <laughs> we won't do that. <laughs> so it's what Jesus taught. By the way, he got baptized. Not because he was a sinner, because he was going to die for our sin. He commands it. It's normative in the New Testament. So how do you know you're ready? Well, here are the three questions that we ask anybody who's getting baptized. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead? Do you really believe that? That Jesus is the Son of God, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. Second, are you trusting or do you trust? And I like, are you trusting? I should have rewritten that. Because it's not like, the, sometimes we think, well, faith, well, that's how I got in, right? That's how I, that was like the key card. That was like the key I had to turn. I trusted in Christ. Now I don't have to do that anymore. No, am I trusting? In Christ, 
alone. It's not Jesus plus, I got to go to church, I got to do this, I got to do this. No, that Christ alone, he's enough for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. And then finally, by God's grace, do you intend to be his devoted follower who changes the world with his love? If you can answer those questions affirmatively, you're ready. You may not understand everything about the faith. I don't understand everything about the faith. It's not about maturity. It's about faith. Do you believe? Are you trusting? Is this your desire? Get baptized. So what are you waiting for? Obedience always brings blessing. It's not a saving act, but obeying God is always a smart thing to do. It always leads us into the path of blessing. Why wouldn't you get baptized? This is a good thing for you. It's a good thing. It's a watershed experience. It's a line in the sand to declare your love for God, your love for Christ, the focus of your faith, and to tell your family and friends, I want to live live my life for him. Man, you go out like that, you go public like that, that strengthens faith. Your faith, other people's faith. When John Wharton baptized me in college and spoke those words from 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I still remember that. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work for Christ is never in vain. That was a big deal. I go back to that. So what are you waiting for? It's going to be simple. You can just go out in the atrium afterwards and just sign up. We've got baptisms this week and we've got baptisms coming up later this spring if this weekend doesn't work for those of you who've got kids and you're trying to work it out your kids are saying i want to get baptized well what i'm trying to do as a parent is do they understand number one that they need a savior that's one of the big joel uh jobs of parenting is help our kids grow up to know that they need jesus that they need jesus that the things that they're struggling with are because they need jesus And do they understand who Jesus is? Can they articulate that in a way that you go, I think they really understand. Jesus died for them and they're trusting in him and they really want to live for him. And I don't think you can put an age and say, well, God can't ever really grab a kid's heart until they're age what? So we caution parents, but work that out with your kids and kids work it out with mom and dad. I'd say to any students here, um, I just have this feeling that a lot of our students are, are in the fight of their life. And I, I remember so well as if I'd grown a toggle switch. And we're depending where I was, at school or at home, I just flipped the switch. And some of us are going, well, man, that's just not an adolescent thing. I feel like I do that today. I'm a different person in different places. And then I said, this battle raging within. And God came to give us peace and life and it's in complete surrender and so if God's tugging on your heart student I just say get baptized and let that be a watershed moment in your life to move forward wholeheartedly with and for Christ so as we bow our heads and I'd like everybody to do that I want to just pray for those right now you're just hearing God's word taught. You're going, you know what? I need to get baptized. And um, there's a whole bunch of people who've already done this. And I just encourage you, as the others have their eyes closed, just raise your hand.
Say, I, want, I need to get baptized. I want to get baptized. I want to pray for you. All right, good. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this good word. It reminds us that you're a good father. There's no gaps with you. You know us perfectly, and you love us perfectly. You, you want a relationship with us. It blows us away, the God of this universe. Lord, thank you for your son and his loving sacrifice for us. It was real. He really did it for us. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for forgiving us and giving us new life. I pray today that you would grant faith, that you would grow faith, and that you would make us faithful disciples of your great son, in whose name we pray, amen.